begin a journey through the book of Colossians. In the intervening weeks, we're going to look to a few topics that we need to cover today. We want to examine this vow that we as a congregation have taken this morning. Before turning to God's Word, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we look to Your Word. Your Word is true. And I pray that Your Word would reside in our hearts as it is planted by Your Spirit. So grant us that gift, we pray, as we see a new vision of You. In Christ's name, Amen. This vow that we took earlier is this. Do you as the congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of the child? It was a vow that means something. It means, do you vow to do the same things that we ask the parents to vow? It was a vow to take your membership in the church, the body of Christ, seriously. To commit to one another. So where does this notion come from? Membership commitment of of investing in the children. Is it the Is it the construct of man, or does it come from the Word of God? I want to take us to two passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New, to display the continuity of Scripture as the Lord presses this truth on our hearts. First, we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now in Deuteronomy, Moses has gathered the people of God across the river Jordan as they prepare to go in and inhabit the land that the Lord has given them. As he does so, he reads to them the Word. Calling them to be shaped by the Word, for their loves to be shaped, and for their loves to then direct their actions. This is Deuteronomy 6, 1-9. through Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall... And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. From the New Testament, we look to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we have, uh, just prior to this passage, Peter has preached at Pentecost powerfully of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the people have come under the conviction of their sin and they are converted by this gospel. Passage then presents for us a picture of the new community, the church. Community 
marked by a new love and a new obedience. This is God's Word from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And then picking up in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. These are two passages that speak of two communities. And in those two communities, the people have been radically united. They've been radically united around a common love and for a common purpose. But as I have spent time in these two passages this week, one theme has stood out for me above all to connect these two passages together. And it's this. It's the fear of the Lord. In Deuteronomy and in Acts, we see a picture of the fear of the Lord of all taking over an entire group of people. In Deuteronomy, we heard the word fear. In Acts, we heard the word all. But these two words have the same meaning and they drive the actions of this covenant community. They are impacted by this vision that they have been given of the Lord. I have a purpose in this sermon. And that purpose is to drive home the importance of the vow that we as a congregation took to assist the parents in the Christian nurture of this child. But I'm going to build a case for it because my mere telling you to obey your vow has no power. But the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of that vow and the awe that that new heart brings. So we get a new vision for the Lord. Follow with me as we build this case so that we see how we are called to pass down to the next generation of faith. What are you passing down to the next generation? I guess what you are passing down is probably what you're most passionate about. For some of us, we're passionate about our hobbies, fishing, the outdoors. Some of us were, were most passionate about some political ideology. Others of us are most passionate about our favorite football teams. Now, in and of themselves, these, these hobbies or ideologies or even our football teams are not, they're not bad unless, of course, those things become ultimates. When we make them ultimates, we have missed a vision of the Lord. But when our hearts are captured 
by Him, the one who is greater than our hobbies. And we begin to develop and, Lord willing, nurture an awe of God. And when we are in awe of Him, He is the one. He is the, His message is the thing that we most desire to pass on. It's rooted in awe. And our awe of God directs our loves. Our awe of God drives our actions. It's what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll go to 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Moses is prepping the people to go into the land of Canaan, a land occupied by polytheism, by a group of people who worshipped a multitude of gods. And as he's prepping the people to go into this land, he says, listen up. There is only one true God, and He is our God. He is exclusive. And so live with a total devotion to Him. Next month, I'm going to get the opportunity to do uh, another COVID first. Uh, I'll get the opportunity to participate in a virtual mission trip. (laughs) Chris Bond and I will be joining together with another pastor to teach our our mission partners in India. It's a group of pastors and their families that we have grown to love over the years of traveling to be with them and and to equip them as they do the work of church planting in India. I miss being with them, but one of the things I've noticed after being with them in the past is that they live with the very real, tangible reality of um, trying to minister to and reach a people who outwardly worship a multitude of gods. The Hindu people uh, have thousands of little G gods. One of the things you notice about these little G-gods is that they are only captured in pictures, most of them grotesque. And and little statues that that you actually purchase with your pocket change in a marketplace. As you think about these gods, uh, you realize that there is no actual worship taking place. You see, the people use them to get what they want. Um, Those gods are meant to be pacified, to be manipulated, possibly appeased. So rather than worship, what you have is in essence the offer of a bribe. I'll give you something, little God. You give me what I want. But our God... Our God is one. Our God is holy. Our God is mighty. And He cannot, will not be appeased. He can only be loved and worshipped. And so, the text takes us to verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
hearts in the Hebrew does not uh, carry with it this sense of separation between heart and mind that we would have in our culture. It captures the very core of your inner being. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love Him with all of your soul. The soul here captures the essence of desires and wants. Love the Lord your God with all your soul and love the Lord your God with all your might. It's a little confusing when we, when we consider the, the origin of this word might. It actually means very. Love the Lord with your veriness. With your vigor. With your force. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Where does that come from? It comes from fear. It comes from all. We love the Lord in this way. We're loving the Lord at the very depths of our bones. That love is a love that takes our focus off of self. That love then is projected outward. So with this all of God, we love the Lord our God, and then we also love the church, the bride of Christ. I believe a proper understanding of Scripture would tell us that Deuteronomy 6 is ultimately pointing to the church. But I'll look specifically to Acts chapter 2 for this point. Something had changed in the people at Pentecost. They had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had come under the conviction of sin. They had cried out the name of the Lord and they were converted. There was no altar call. There was no need for repetitive refrains. The people responded because they had come to see the reality of their sin. They saw that it was their sin that sent Jesus to the cross. It's the godly grief that we talked about two weeks ago in Zechariah. And they saw then the picture of the resurrected Jesus. You talk about all. There's no greater picture than God Himself bursting forth from the grave. And in this vision, the people cried out, what must we do? Peter responded, bring your sin before the Lord. Repent of it. and Take hold of the new life in Christ that is signified by baptism. It's a sign of faith. That baptism that Jesus gave us ushers us into a new community that is marked by covenant. Covenant is the promise of God's grace that as we have already celebrated extends to your offspring after you. And so, then in Acts chapter 2, we saw the radical outworking of this new life in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 where we saw what the people were devoted to. You know what it means to be devoted? It means to give yourself over entirely to something. Listen to what the people gave themselves over entirely to in the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is the Word of God. They devoted, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the body of Christ. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which in this context would refer to the sacraments. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. The people... 
they had a new focus. They had a new awe. And it manifested in their devotion. So what are you devoting yourself to? What are you giving your time over to? What are you giving your love over to? What are you giving your worship over to? For the people in Acts chapter 2, their imagination had been captured by Jesus. And they were devoted to the things of Christ. And then in, in verse 43 of Acts 2, we see it <laughs> all. All came upon all the people. Are you in awe of Jesus? Has Jesus captured your imagination? In the flow of Acts, we see that this all is, is fueled by their devotion to the things of Christ, but it is also further fueling their devotion to the things of Christ. And therefore, all, it is the engine keeping their life in Christ moving. A virtuous cycle. And do not miss this. The people were united by all. In Deuteronomy and in Acts, God initiated His covenant with a people. Not a person. With a people. So for us, Christ Church, we are a local gathering of God's covenant people. Which means that when you unite in membership, as we have celebrated this morning, that you are committing to love and serve the body of Christ as your family in Christ. Follow this logic then with me. All drives our love for the body, which leads to our commitment to the body. So is your commitment... Your participation in the body of Christ, is it primary? Or is it merely convenience? The heart that is focused on self will always lean towards convenience when it comes to participation in the body of Christ. But the heart that is captivated by God, that is moved by all, that is radically impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ and is awestruck by Him, that heart has a new devotion. And the church, by God's design, is meant to be together in this devotion, having all things in common, all in financially, all in in terms of worship, all in for fellowship. This all. This all drives our love for the Lord. This all drives our love for the church. And this all drives our love for the generations. Acts speaks to the generations in terms of the promise that is for our offspring after us. In Deuteronomy, we see this focus on the generations specifically in verse 2, when it says that the fear of the Lord your God, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. It's a fear of the Lord, an awestruck wonder that lasts throughout the generations. So then, in verses 6 through 9, 
we see that this fear, which manifests itself in love, we see what it looks like in action. The first point that I'll make is that verses uh, 6 through 9 tells us that, that the word should be on our heart. Know the word. That's not a call to be a, a seminary professor. That's a call to, to avail yourself of this privilege to be able to read this letter from the Lord our God. Be in the Word. Spend time in it. But secondly, and again, don't miss the flow, teach the Word diligently to your children. Teach the Word diligently to your children. The, the, the word teach here has the, the sense of, of sharpening, of honing, as if we would sharp, sharpen a knife. It is the sense of shaping. And so when we teach the word diligently to our children, we are shaping our children with the word. As we shape them, we are shaping their loves. That means we are imparting to our children a sense of the awe of God. We're not trying to give them facts and figures so that they can win Bible trivia. We're giving them a sense of the awe of the Lord our God so that whatever we do, and Lord willing, whatever they do, we do for the purpose and goal of loving our God. And then the third point of of this is that by implication... True relationship with God is not merely individualistic. It's covenantal. So the fear of the Lord is a fear for the generations, including those not yet born. Now, practically, what does this vow, what does this text mean for us as the local gathering of God's covenant people? Well, first, start with the low-hanging fruit. Serve in the nursery, Sunday school, children's sermon. Uh, There will come a time when we will regather for these uh, these ministries. Did, Did you respond in the affirmative to the vow that I asked earlier? If you did, and I pray you did, don't miss the weight of that vow. It was a promise made before the Lord our God. So honor your promise by serving the children of the church. Serve all of the children. That is what it means if we are to be an intergenerational church, that we would serve all the children and all of us are serving by investing in, loving the generations, by teaching them the Word. That might come in the form of taking a a, a rotation in our nursery, in our Sunday school, in our our children's sermon. And uh, Next week we will have a children's worship service. Jerry and the, and the children's ministry team will be leading this. If you have questions about how you might be involved in those ministries when they start up, and we believe very clearly that they will at some point, talk to Jerry. Talk to someone on the ministry team. Talk to uh, Ben Murray, who is the elder uh, working with the ministry team. 
And, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to be with uh, the kids. Because ultimately what the kids need is they need, they need the love of the Lord and they need your love of them. So, serve in the nursery, in Sunday school and children's worship. But more broadly speaking, and you need to hear this, be intentional with the children. Again, it's a commitment to all the children. Don't treat the children in the church as lesser. The children have eternal souls. So know them by engaging with them. It's one of the ways that we invite the children into this body of Christ. Know them. Engage them in conversation. How do you get to know others in the church? You talk with them. Do you know how you get to know the children of the church? You talk with them. Have you ever seen a child light up when you focus on them? Now listen, children are just like adults. Some are shy, some are outgoing. For some it may be difficult to get the conversation going, but if you give them your focus, they will respond. We do this because this is a covenant community, a covenant family. And we engage with the children, getting to know them, because that understanding means that they are your family and they are co-heirs with Christ. So know them and engage them regardless of age. That is what it means for us to be an intergenerational church. But as the children grow, continue to know them and engage them by pursuing them. The kids who are the healthiest church members are often those who have ongoing engagement with other adults. Anna and I know this firsthand because we have seen it and been blessed by it in our own children. Our children have been shaped by you. Children have been shaped by you as you have invested in them. You have gotten to know them. Many of you have taken my children for meals. You have invited them into your homes, into your very lives. And so much of who they are in Christ is a result of you. And don't take my word for it. Last December, our oldest was home from college and he shared this testimony with you thanking you for your investment in his life because that had given him a vision of what the church was to be and shaped his search for a church family when he went off to college. He knew the importance of an intergenerational church. And I have you to thank. So thank you. But continue. Continue in Carrie's life. But parents, you need to know that your love for the church will go a long way in giving your children an appetite for these types of relationships. Don't merely tell them to go to church. (laughs) Be the church. And when they see your love for the family of Christ, 
They'll follow your love more than they follow your words. Now, as we invest in the children in obedience to the vow that we have taken, we also invest in the parents. Encourage the parents because it is it's hard work. They can't do it alone. And Hillary Clinton was only partially correct. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes the church. So be the church. Listen, folks, at the heart of this application, practical point-by-point application, we find the fear of the Lord. As I've tried to build this case for you, it is the fear of the Lord that will capture your imagination. And when your imagination is captured in awestruck wonder of the Lord our God, then everything will change. For me, this week, this theme of all has been at the top of my heart and it has been everywhere I have looked. As I've considered all, I've also noticed something Very important. That our response to fear, our response to awe is rooted in relationship. This week in my devotional time, I was reading through Matthew and I came to Matthew 28 and saw uh, a picture before my eyes of exactly what I'm talking about. There is no greater picture of the the awesomeness of our God than in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God incarnate burst forth from the grave. And on that first Easter morning, in Matthew 28, we can't handle a vision of Jesus, and so the Lord gave us a picture of merely His messenger, the angel of the Lord, clothed in glory. An awesome picture. That was His was His messenger. And and as the angel of the Lord came, the ground shook. And and what did we see there? We saw the guards on the ground shaking. I have a vision in my mind of someone being tased, just laying at the angel's feet, shaking in terror. And later when those guards would come to, uh, they went and reported everything to the religious leaders who heard all of this vision. They, they heard of all, but they were apathetic. So what did they do? They bribed them to pay them off. The picture of glory, the picture of awestruck wonder was received by the guards, but they received it with terror. It was received by the religious leaders, but they, they responded with apathy. But there was another group there that morning. It was the ladies. The ladies who had come to prepare Jesus' body. And they came face to face with the angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord told them, do not be afraid. Fear for the ladies. It translated to awestruck wonder. And so as Matthew 28 would describe it, it was fear and great joy. Do you see the difference between terror and apathy and great joy? It's relationship. It's relationship with the awesome one. Friends, when we embrace relationship with Jesus, He draws us near. Draws us near. So rooted in relationship... We nurture 
a sense of awe. Friends, assist the parents. And this vow, with your vow to, to nurture the children, teach the children, but do so out of a heart deeply and passionately in love with Jesus. And to develop that heart, train your eyes to see and be shaped by the fear of the Lord, to see His beauty, to see His glory, to see His holiness to see His grace. Father, capture our imaginations with a picture of Your holiness. Show us Your beauty and change us forever. And may one small outworking of that fear be our commitment to the children of this church. Do so, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.